This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Morning, everybody. Man, it is so wonderful to be back with you. Uh, My wife, Maria, and I just spent the last two weeks in India having an incredible time. We were working with a collaboration of about 40 different churches in southern India and a school and an orphanage and a Bible college. Uh, We were invited over because, actually, because of your generosity. Because a year ago, uh, you as a church and we as a church raised money to build a church building for one of the many churches who was meeting in a little tiny space. They had about 40 people meeting in a tiny space. And the way that this ministry works is they plant these churches in rural areas so that people who don't have vehicles— and don't have access to get to churches, can find these churches in these small spots. And you guys raised $18,000 to build a church, and that church was completed. So they said, come over, see the work, be part of it. And so I was teaching in the Bible college, uh, working with some pastors on leadership development. Uh, Maria was working in the orphanage and in the school and leading worship, and it was an incredible time. And from the people in India, they just over and over again were saying how much they appreciate new life, how much they love you, how thankful they are for you, how they pray for you on a regular basis. And so we want to give our greetings to you from the churches in India because God's doing some incredible stuff with them. And I know many of you have been asking, so what was it like? What was your experience? What are you bringing back? And I thought rather than uh, having 500 individual conversations, we would just have a quick conversation together as a family. So uh, here's a little family update from us. I would say my biggest takeaway— my biggest takeaway was that I sat in a church service, and it's 12 hours ahead in India than we are here. I sat in a church service on Sunday morning, so it would have been your Saturday evening, and worshiped with these incredible men and women uh, in a language that is completely foreign to me. It's one of the fastest spoken languages in the world, so I caught this much of it. Uh, but here's what I was struck by. The men and women there are following after Jesus. And the common link is not the language, it's not the culture, it's that we are following Jesus together. And then I went to bed thinking about the reality that you guys were here following Jesus and worshiping him. And it was this incredibly deep moment to realize that around the world, God is, he's calling us to himself and calling us to follow and he's changing our lives. And it's really powerful. So that was one of the things that that hit me. And I was just in awe of God in that process. And I asked Maria to share maybe something that really struck her from the trip. So I thought my favorite um, moment or experience would be leading worship to a bunch of people that (coughs) couldn't understand a word I was saying. Some of them could. Some of them spoke English. But um, for the most part, they couldn't. And that wasn't my favorite part. My favorite moment was the moment when um, I was working with a few of the orphans, and I was just able to sit and hug orphans. And um, to know that um, physical touch means so much to them in their culture, um, and to be able to be there and just hug and love. Um, children who don't get hugged and loved um, from a mom to a child, it was just so, so special. So um, know that I, I spent my time giving a little new life love, some hugs, um, to many orphans and um, just the, the people over there, the leaders and um, just to, to be there and be present, it just means the world to them. So, um, yeah, thank you for letting us go and blessing us yeah. to go. It was just a really special time um, to share some new life love 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks <laughs> for, for your prayers for us. And, and when the cyclone came through and hit, I know a bunch of you were looking on Facebook, are we okay? What's going on? We were totally fine. The only time we got caught in a rainstorm was um, I was teaching these pastors. And Don't all the, give it away. All Don't the, give it away. All the older pastors, and I like retro older things, they all had these uh, gold-plated watches on. So I decided one day I'm going to go find a gold-plated watch. And so um, we went out in this little auto rickshaw, this little tiny cart thing, and got stuck in a rainstorm. Now, you got to know that Maria did not want me to get this watch because she's not a big fan of gold-plated watches watch for some reason. Um, so we're in this huge rainstorm, had nothing to do with the cyclone, just a huge rainstorm because I really wanted a gold-plated watch. So uh, we were totally safe. The only time we got close to danger was when I wanted to get my watch. Everything was great. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, the other thing we learned, and thank you, Maria, thank you for sharing with us, Thanks by the way. Um, yeah. The other thing that, that we learned that uh, you already know, but I just realized again, is that my wife is more attractive than me in pretty much any culture. doesn't really matter what. Because the, the older Indian males all wear these things that in southern India they call dothis, which is like a wrap that you wear. And again, I like retro. I like cardigans. I like gold-plated watches. I like dothis. So I got one, and I'm wearing it around, and everyone's just kind of smirking at me, giggling a little bit. And I'd ask them, um, am I wearing it wrong? No, no, you, you look great, you know, and then they'd smile and talk, you know. So I'm, I'm doing this all week long because when it's 92 degrees and humid, a nice light wrap is very comfortable. And uh, then Maria bought a sari, which is a traditional Indian outfit that women wear. And she dressed up in her sari one day and went to the same place where I was wearing my dothi. And, and remember, they're all smiling and laughing at me. She gets there and everyone's saying, Oh, Maria, you're so beautiful. Oh, Maria, you look just like an Indian. Oh, Maria, you're in Cre- you need to stay with us forever. And I'm standing there like, okay, you know, what are you going to do? What are you gonna, she, oh, and then they also said, Maria, you look like you're at least five to ten years younger than Kevin, which was just, uh, so certain things apparently transcend all culture. M- Maria being more beautiful and attractive than me transcends, which is fine by me. I'm totally good with that. Um, thank you for praying for me. I got this bacteria thing. It's gone, but in its place, I got this head cold, so you'll have to put up with me. I left as a 32-year-old man. I came back as a 15-year-old boy whose voice cracks, so you'll just have to deal with it. Deal with it today, because we are on a journey that I'm so excited about. You've been going through Not a Fan for the last two weeks. We're going to continue that. We've been uh, talking, and by the way, you've got teaching notes in your program. You've got a connect card in your program. You're going to want to fill both of those out. Your Start Here card, because that helps us connect with you. It'll help you connect with God in these teaching notes. You're going to want to take these and take them home because I gave you some ways to connect with God throughout the week on those. So you'll want to be filling those out as we go. But we started off by asking a question, how have I defined my relationship with Jesus? Have I had that DTR where, where we've come to a place of, I know what my relationship looks like to God, how we interact with each other. What is this going to mean? And so we're, we're having this kind of dialogue in church and in our life groups. What does it mean to define my relationship with Jesus? And then we talked last week about how Jesus calls anyone to follow him. Anyone. And, and he's unique in that he will call anyone and invite anyone, regardless of past, regardless of, of what's going on right now. He, he just wants you to come and be with him and be in a relationship with him. And I, I love that because anyone means everyone. That means anyone and everyone can follow Jesus. And we have a God who's so big and so transforming that he can call you and he can change you right where you are as you have a relationship with him. 
And my prayer for you, as I've been gone in India, my prayer for you has been that you would be engaging with God on this topic. That, that as a church, as we go through these next number of weeks, that we would really fully, deeply embrace the life that God has for us. To, to fully commit ourselves to being followers of Jesus. Because when we do it, God can do anything through us. Now, I, I sat with a man who's now 72 years old in India, and when he was in college, he came to the States, he gave his life to Christ, he went back to India, and he thought, well, I'm a Christian now, I should start a church. That's just what you do when you're a Christian. And so he went to India, started this church, and from that church has grown now 40 churches in three states in southern India, a school that has 2,000 students, an orphanage that has 40 students and is expanding, a Bible college. He's literally, this one man's decision to follow Christ is changing the face of Christianity in southern India. And it's a life that's absolutely incredible. It's a life worth telling stories about. And it's not for the select few. This life is for anyone who would say yes to following Jesus because he wants to do something incredible in you and he wants to do something incredible through you because followers, followers experience God's power. We see his power in our own lives as he transforms us. Followers see God's power in our families as he changes family culture, as he changes generational um, brokenness and bondage. We see God's power in our neighborhoods as we follow after Jesus, and we love our neighborhoods. We see God's power in our workplace as we follow Jesus and go into the workplace to to live a life of integrity and honesty that God created us for. Um, As we follow after Jesus, it's the most powerful, beautiful, not always easy but significant life we could ever have. And it changes everything. And so my prayer has been for the last two weeks that you would be experiencing God like that. And that if you're, if you're just right on the cusp and saying, I, I don't know if I'm ready to fully commit to God, that you would do it, that you would do it today and that it would change your life. So take a look at this video and then we're gonna continue on this journey together. There's a popular magazine for hikers <laughs> called Trail Magazine. In their February 2004 issue, they published directions on how to get down from Britain's highest peak. Returning from 4,409 feet requires explicit and detailed directions, especially in bad weather. But if you were to actually follow the directions, they would take you right off the edge of a cliff and into a thousand foot drop. At next intersection, turn right. Imagine traveling along, feeling secure and confident, not knowing that the directions in your hand, if actually followed, would lead to your destruction. The truth is, on this trail called life, all of us are following someone's directions. None of us are really blazing our own trail. We all follow a path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, Whose directions are you following? What path are you on? We're all following something or someone with our lives. We all are. My hope is that we will follow Jesus with our lives. But here's what I know about you, because you and I were not that different. Here's what I know about you. You will never follow someone that you don't trust. And it's hard to trust someone that you don't know. That's why we, we don't, instinctively, we don't trust salespeople when they call us. Because we don't know them. What are you trying to sell me? We get on the defensive. That's why you watch infomercials, and the first thing you think is, it can't work as seen on TV. It, there's just no possible way that that could work. Why? 
because we have a hard time trusting people we don't know, and we'll never follow someone we don't trust. I remember when I was a kid, a salesman came to our door, and we had a big walkway that came out our front, which split our front lawn, and he said, I've got this product that if you use it on your walkway, it will clean it off like it's brand new, clean the cement off. And my parents said, I don't, you know, I don't think that'll work. We don't want to do it. He said, no, no, I can prove it to you. Let me, let me just wash just a little circle right here in the middle of your front walkway. And he did it, and he scrubbed it on there. And my gosh, it was the cleanest spot we had on our front walkway for the next 10 years. I mean, it was incredible. Because at the end, my parents said, yeah, we still don't want it. But then we had this spot. We didn't try. There's no way it'll work. It worked. But we have a hard time uh, following someone we don't trust. And, and we have a hard time trusting people that we, don't, that we don't know. And so today, what I want to talk about, because next week and the weeks to come in our life groups and in, in uh, services, we're going to talk about really um, trusting God, following God, giving ourselves completely to God. And what I want to talk today about is about really deeply, intimately knowing God. Knowing God. And, and I know that for some of you, especially you guys, the idea of, of intimacy with anybody, and especially with God, it, it can feel a little off-putting. It can kind of weird us out a little bit. I, I know because I was asked one time uh, to take, to read a, a book in the Bible called Song of Solomon. And if you haven't read it, basically Song of Solomon is like the NC-17 book of the Bible. Uh, it, it is. Like, if, if you have a daughter and she comes home and says, I've got this new boyfriend. He loves Jesus. He wants to do a Bible study together. We're studying Song of Solomon. Okay, get your gun. Get him out. It's not, it's not a good choice. So someone said to me, read Song of Solomon. It's about a relationship with a husband and wife. And then they said, you know, God talks about our relationship with him as uh, like a bride and a bridegroom. So read it in the context of God talking to you. And as a 20-something guy who was single, it weirded me out. It, the idea of, of God as the groom and me as the bride, I just, I couldn't do it. So I understand, guys, if just the very idea of intimacy with God weirds you out, I get it. I've been there. But I want to tell you this. You will never, you will never follow someone you don't trust. And you're going to have a hard time trusting someone that you don't intimately, really, truly know. And so I want to ask you as much as you can today, keep your defenses down and open up to the idea that there's a God who's so big and vast that he created everything, and yet he wants to know you intimately. Because in life, we have two options. We can either keep God at arm's distance, we can push him there, or we can put our hands down and, and invite him in, and invite in intimacy. And in one of the stories of Jesus' life in the book of Luke, uh, we see Jesus go to a dinner party. And at this dinner party, we have two different people who treat Jesus in two different ways. One person keeps Jesus at arm's distance, and one person invites Jesus into an intimate relationship. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to explore that dinner party and see what God would want to say to us. And we find it in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Here's how the story starts out. It says, When one of the Pharisees, and we find out that this guy's name is Simon— one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so Jesus went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table. And a woman in the town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was, was, eating, uh, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Verse 38 says, She stood behind him at his feet, and she was crying. She was weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed she kissed his feet, and she poured perfume on his feet. Now, I married into a Middle Eastern family. My wife is half Lebanese, and, and in Middle Eastern culture, uh, hospitality is, is huge. 
And so, for example, when I uh, married into the family, now every time I go to visit them, uh, my brothers-in-law, who are all big, uh, strong Lebanese men, uh, big, hairy, you know, and, and they, they come up to me, and they always kiss me on my cheeks. Every time I go to see them, they kiss me on the cheeks. And my mother-in-law, who's a sweet little gal, she's like 5'1", she just reaches up and she's kissing me on the cheek all the time. And the whole time I'm there, she's, my mother-in-law, she's cooking the entire time, and she's always asking, are you okay? What do you need? What can I get for you? It's incredibly hospitable. Uh, and that's the way that Middle, Middle Eastern culture is. But even more, 2,000 years ago, uh, the, the stakes for hospitality were incredibly high. For example, when you went to someone's house in the ancient world, the custom was that you would greet them with a kiss, that the, the person who lived in the house would greet you with a kiss. And because it was hot and dusty and sweaty, the custom would be that when you got there, uh, as a guest, your feet would be washed, your sandals would be taken off, and a servant or a slave or someone in the house would, would wash your feet. And then someone would use some oil, and they would kind of clean you up and get you ready for the meal. This was just common culture, common hospitality in the ancient world. Have you ever had a time where someone's given you a backhanded compliment? Uh, well, maybe they said to you, wow, that haircut looks really nice. It kind of covers your bald spot. Or, um, or, you know, you look great for your age. You look really great for your age. Have you ever had someone do that to you? Like, they're kind of complimenting you, but at the same time, they're kind of putting you down. That's what's going on here. On some level, this Pharisee uh, is doing that to Jesus. He compliments Jesus. He has him over to his house. But it's a backhanded compliment because he doesn't pour oil on his feet. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't greet him with a kiss. Basically, he's saying, you're here, and I want you here, but I don't want you too close. You're here, and you can come into my house, but you can't come into my life. I don't want to get too close to you. I want to know you, but not totally know you. So Jesus is, he's eating at Simon's house, and they're having this small talk that goes on, and right in the middle of that, there's this incredibly awkward scene where this woman walks in behind him, and she's a known woman in the city. She's had a hard life. She's known as a sinner, probably sexual sin. Uh, Most likely, because it's a small town, people know her sin. They know what she's done. They know who she's been with. She takes this long neck um, jar, and she breaks it, She pours the content on Jesus' feet, and she's crying. And maybe she's crying because of her sin, because everyone knows it. Maybe she's crying because she's scared, because Pharisees generally didn't, um, they didn't welcome in known sinners into their house. And she doesn't know what they're going to do to her, what Simon's going to do. Maybe she's crying because she's embarrassed. Maybe she's crying because she's overcome with emotion, because Jesus doesn't turn around and, and hit her and tell her she has to leave. Whatever reason, she's She's crying. She's clearly emotional, and she wets Jesus' feet, and she takes her hair, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. This is an incredibly intimate scene at this dinner table, and we have Simon who who invites Jesus in to his house, but doesn't invite him into his life. And then we have this woman who comes to the party, and she just, she wraps herself around Jesus. And Jesus knew her story, Jesus knew her sin. Jesus knew what she had done, and Jesus loved her anyway. Some of us need to hear that today. Jesus knows your story. He knows where you've been. He knows who you've been with. He knows, he knows where you were last night, and, and he loves you anyway. And embracing that reality, the reality that God knows you intimately and that he loves you anyway, That's the starting point to an authentic relationship with God. 
See, oftentimes we keep things from Jesus because we think, well, maybe he just doesn't know all the stuff in my life. But the truth is, God, he already knows. He knows everything. He knows all of it. He knows what you did when you were 18. He knows what you did when when you were 28. He he knows what you were thinking in those years. And he he loves you. He loves you. I'm going to come back to this story, but I want to zoom out for a minute. And I want to talk about intimacy in the Bible as a whole. I want to talk about Old Testament intimacy, knowing God and being known by God, because there's something in the Old Testament that I think is is, uh, really insightful into what it means to know God and have a relationship with God. So um, the best word for intimacy in the Bible is the word know. And the first time we see the word know in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and it's in the context of a relationship. Uh, and I'm going to read the King James Version, which I don't usually do, but I think it kind of it teases this out a little bit. It says that Adam, the first man, he knew his wife. He knew his wife. That word know in the Old Testament is the word yada. Yada literally means to know and be known completely, fully, totally. Yada, he, he knew her completely. Because of the context of this verse, other translations actually translate it differently. Uh, they say this in Genesis 4.1, Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. That's the context for this word. Made love to. To, to know completely and to be known completely. And I, and I don't say that to shock you, so don't, don't turn your ears off and don't turn me off. Because yada, the idea of physical knowing of a husband and wife is the most intimate expression that two people can have. That's why the, the Bible over and over again is very clear that God says, save sex for marriage. Because, because in our culture, sex is about a physical act. But in the Bible, sex is about knowing each other. It's about being known by each other. It's about safety. It's about relationship. It's about uh, a oneness that comes. And, and, um, and so knowing and being known completely is the word that God chooses to use throughout the Old Testament in the context that God chooses to use, not only for a relationship between a man and a woman, physically, but also for the relationship that he wants to have with us. And when I first realized that, it kind of weirded me out, right? Why would God choose to use this phrase, yada, that's used for sexual intimacy? Why would he choose to use that word to talk about his relationship to us? It's the same word used over and over and over again. And, and, and as I've been studying this, the more I see it, the more I realize the reason he does it is because you know that day-in and day-out relationship that you have with your spouse that builds intimacy, where you know them and you're known by them and you connect with them in a very real way? That's what God wants to have with you. A knowing and a being known where you can be completely vulnerable before God, where there's no shame, where there's no fear, where there's safety and there's protection and there's care. That's the kind of intimacy that God wants to have with you. God isn't looking for a weekend fling with you where you come on Sunday and you have a one-day stand with him. He's he's, he's not looking for a, a casual thing. God wants to know you, to be known by you in a in a very deep and intimate way. 
In Psalm 139, David talks about this idea of knowing and being known by God. And it's one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible. In Psalm 139, he says this, You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You yada me. You completely know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowing is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain to. David says, God, you know, you know, you know. You know my, my fear. You know my pain. You know my actions. You know my attitudes. You know my thoughts. You know when I'm asleep. You know when I'm awake. God, you know me completely. And David sits there in awe of God. He says, God, how could this be? that you know me so well. But even more amazing than God knowing us so well is, is this, that God invites us to know him intimately too. Not only does God know us intimately, he knows when we sleep and when we wake, what we're thinking, what we're saying, what we're doing. God invites us to know him intimately. When I was in India, we drove past a Hindu temple and all these folks were going into this Hindu temple to worship. And, and what happens is they work themselves into a kind of a trance. And so it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a creepy, kind of dark spiritual thing because you have to drive really slow because these Hindus are walking right in front of your car and they won't stop. They just kind of keep on going. And what they'll do is they'll go into the temple and they'll start to try to awake their deity. Uh, and so what they do is they, um, they'll get on the ground and they'll start chanting and they'll start rolling on the ground, literally hurting themselves in an attempt to say, hey, hey, deity, hey, lowercase g, God, I'm here, I'm present, I'll do anything that I need to do simply to get your attention. So would you give me your attention for just a minute? But, but our God is different than that because our God is already here. Our God is already present, and he doesn't want us to hurt ourselves to get to know him. He simply wants to be in relationship with us here, and he reveals himself to us. God says this. God says, you know how, how closely you connect to your spouse, like on your best day? You know that intimacy you feel? Well, we're, we're one. God says, that's what I want to have with you, because I already know you completely, and now I want to invite you to know me completely, because when you get to know me, then you'll trust me. And if you can come to trust me, then I believe you'll follow me with all of your life. And let's be honest, that sounds really good on a Hallmark card. It sounds really good at a church service. Oh, God wants me to know him and trust him and love him and have this relationship with him. But in real life, that idea is terrifying. It's terrifying. Because intimacy by its nature is vulnerable. Intimacy by its nature is vulnerable. And many of us have been vulnerable with people, and they've burned us. Some of you were vulnerable in marriage, and then they left. And you think, why would I ever want to be vulnerable again? Some of us have been vulnerable in friendships, and then we were betrayed, and we think, why would I ever want to be vulnerable again? But intimacy by its nature requires vulnerability. And the thing is, God already knows you completely, and yet we try to hide certain parts of ourselves from him. But he says, just, just open yourself up to me. I'm here to know you and to be known by you. But it's scary. 
for some of us. And again, uh, maybe it's not just men, but I, I can only speak from my vantage point. For men especially, it's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to be vulnerable with our spouse. We're taught that if I'm a real man, then I, I will protect the family. I won't have any fear. I won't, I won't have any anxiety. She, she, my wife is looking to me to have all the answers. And so we bring that into our relationship with God, and we think, God, I, I have to have all the answers. I have to keep a wall up. I can't be completely honest and completely vulnerable with you. And yet God wants us to, to come close to him. But we settle for knowing about Jesus. We settle for Bible study. We settle for church. We settle for, for reading our Bibles every day academically instead of really knowing God. But God wants to be known by you. Let's go back to that story in Luke 7. Simon, the Pharisee, he's chosen to keep Jesus at arm's distance. He seems content to let Jesus into his house, but not let him into his life. But the woman, she chooses vulnerability. And for her, that was a terrifying thing. Because you got to remember, this woman has been hurt most likely by men, used sexually by men. Now she's going to a man, Jesus. Now he's God in the flesh, so he's got that going for him. But he's a man to her. And she's going to choose to do something that's incredible incredibly powerful to say, you know what? I know I've been hurt in the past, but I'm going to be completely open to you today. I'm going to be completely open to you today because followers of Jesus, we choose to press into God even when intimacy surfaces things that we're not proud of. Even when, when intimacy surfaces things that are painful in our lives, Because we know that only through intimacy do we find healing and forgiveness for those really painful parts of our lives. It's not until we're open with Jesus and intimate with him that he brings certain things to the surface, but he brings them to the surface not to condemn us, but to heal us and to forgive us and to restore us. Back at the dinner party, Simon knew all about Jesus. He had memorized um, most of the Old Testament. He knew way more of it than I do. He even knew more of the Bible than Pastor Ron does, which is saying something. He knew all the laws of the Bible, and then he was uh, such a, a rule follower that he made rules on top of the laws of the Bible just so he wouldn't break the laws of the Bible. So he knew the hundreds of laws in the Bible. He made hundreds more just so he wouldn't break those laws. He knew all the laws, all the rules, all the rituals. He knew when to stand up and when to sit down. He knew in a prayer circle when to squeeze someone's hand. He, he knew what to do, and yet he didn't know Jesus. On the other side, we find this woman who didn't know all the laws, who didn't know all the rules, probably because if she ever tried to go into a church, everyone would look at her and, and push her out and maybe pick up stones and throw them at her and try to kill her because of her sin. But she knew Jesus. And I want to ask you to put a mirror up to your face today and simply ask yourself this question. Do I know all about Jesus or do I know Jesus? It's a similar question, but the answer makes all the difference in the world. Knowing about Jesus will not change your life. Knowing Jesus will change everything. That's why Jesus at the end of the story says this in verse 44. Because the people are all grumbling about this woman coming in. And Jesus says, do you see this woman, Simon? 
I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing me. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, she has love for me because she's experienced forgiveness. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that he forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Remember, fans know about Jesus, but followers choose intimacy with him. And that makes all the difference in the world. Jesus says to this woman, as you are going, experience peace. As you are going on your way, live in peace. That woman went from torment, from her sin, to forgiveness. She went from being ostracized by the community to acceptance in God's family. She went from having no family to being part of God's family. Fans know about Jesus. Followers, they intimately know Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we experience his peace and his forgiveness and his love. And that's what I want for us. I want intimacy because in the weeks that come, we're going to talk about all these, these things, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to take up your cross and, and walk with him and choose difficult things. But, but if we don't intimately know him, then we won't trust him. And if we don't trust him, we won't follow him. And I want us to follow him. So I want us to know him. And so I want to give you some ways to know him, to truly intimately really know him. And the first is simply this. If you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with him where you intimately know him, and I'm not talking about going to church and learning about him. I'm not talking about even reading your Bible or, or, or singing certain songs. I'm talking about knowing God the way that this woman knew God. If you've never said yes to him, then today is your day to say yes. Amen. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you all week that you would say yes today and experience that love and experience God's forgiveness. And let him come and live in your life and live in your heart. And I'm going to keep on talking for a few minutes, but if that's you, I just want you to, to think over what that would mean for you. And then at the end of our time, I'm going to pray and give you a chance to respond to Jesus. And if you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus, but you feel like you're missing something and getting to know him, I want to give you one, one tool it's only one tool, but it's a great tool. And I was sharing this with some pastors in, in India when I was there. And it's not revolutionary. It's hopefully not the first time you've heard it, but it's this. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus by getting to know him in the Bible. I need to know him in the Bible. God has revealed himself to us in his word. He has shown himself to us. Do you want to know what God looks like? He's revealed himself in his word. And... Um, it was, it, was, it was hard to kind of grasp this in India because I asked the people, do you have like, like 10 translations of the Bible in your house like we do in the United States? They're like, no, I've got one Bible. This is my Bible, you know, and I take it with me everywhere because if I lose my Bible, then how am I going to know the character of God? It's revealed in his word. And so that's like the sacred thing. And I'm thinking, well, I've got like 10 Bibles on here. I've got another five on here. 
I don't even know where my paper Bible is. It's somewhere, I'm pretty sure, you know. Um, but we use Bibles as really nice decorations around our house. But followers use Bibles to get to know Jesus. So, so ask yourself this question. Is my Bible a really nice decoration in my house? Or, or is it uh, the Word of God that I use to get to know Jesus? And, and if you don't have this done, then you can take these notes and take them home with you, and you can use them throughout this week. So I guess give you some tips on how to have a personal time with God. The first is simply this. Schedule a time to meet with God daily. Schedule a time. Listen, we schedule everything that's important to us. You put your kids' sporting events on the schedule. You put your work on the schedule. If you have a meeting, it goes on the schedule. Um, Some of you would say, no, I just want to have this time with God when it's time. But the truth is, our days get busy. We miss it. And then at the end, God gets two minutes at the end of our day when we're exhausted and burnt out and frazzled. And that's not a relationship. That's a duty. So schedule a time to get with God. I would suggest doing it in the morning. And then begin with prayer. Begin by talking to God about what's coming up in your day. Ask God to draw you to himself and to open you up as you read his word, as you get into the Bible. And then as you read the Bible, I want to encourage you to ask three questions. The first question is this. What was God saying to the people uh, who this part of the Bible was originally written to? That's called the context. What's the context for it? What was God saying to the people who this part of the Bible was originally written to? And if you don't know the answer to that question, get a Bible commentary. And if you don't know where to get one, um, you can go to BibleGateway.com, and I gave you the link on here on how to get to commentaries. They're free. They're online. You can get it on your phone, your iPad, your computer, or, and this is crazy, or you could just like go to Amazon and order an actual commentary. I know it's crazy, but they're really good. Um, InterVarsity Press has a great commentary that's free on BibleGateway.com. It'll give you the context for what's going on. So what's originally happening? What's the context of this letter? The next question to ask is, what's the timeless truth that God wants me to know? So how do I translate this 2,000 years to today? What do I need to know? Because there's truth there that translates to us. And then the last one is, what am I going to do with this information? We say this every Sunday, information, which is what comes in, plus application, which is what goes out. When it's mixed with God's Spirit, that's what leads to transformation. And it's the same thing when you read your Bible. We don't just read our Bible to learn something new. We read our Bible to apply it to our lives so it can transform us. And if you're not doing that, you're missing a huge part of intimacy with God, which is allowing God's Spirit to then do something with the Word. So do something with it, and then close by talking with God about what you're learning. Ask Him to give you the courage to put it into practice. Just spend time talking with God because he loves you, because God has nothing better to do than to spend time with you. He, he just loves you so much. He does. He loves you. More than your parents love you, more than your kids love you, more than your spouse loves you, God loves you. And the incredible thing about God is God knows you better than they do, and he still loves you. That's how incredible God is. And listen, your, your friends, your, your spouse definitely can't change you. Your friends can't change you. God can transform you because he works on the inside of our lives as we get to know him and he changes us from the inside out and he makes us into followers who are experiencing a life that changes everything. So what we're going to do now as a sign of of connecting with God is there are tables around the auditorium with a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And the night that Jesus was betrayed before he would give his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins to bring us back into a relationship with our Heavenly Father— he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it's, it's given for you. And then he took a cup of wine and we're going to use juice. But he took this cup of wine and he said, this, this is the cup of a new covenant, of a new relationship and it's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. 
so you can be forgiven and have a relationship with me. And then he told us, as often as we do it, we should remember him. And so in just a second, the band's going to come out, and they're going to play a song, and all they do, we're going to stand up, and we're going to go and grab the piece of bread and grab the cup of juice, and we're going to remember the depths that God went to draw us into an intimate relationship with him. Because the Bible's not about rules. It's not a list of things we have to do. It's about knowing our creator. And as we know him, we'll get to love him. And as we love him, we'll trust him. And when we trust him, then we'll follow him. And our goal in this series is to become followers of Jesus who experience life with God the way we were created to. So I'm gonna pray for over communion. And then I'm at the end of that, gonna pray for you if you're ready to make a decision to give your life to Christ. I hope you've been thinking about that. Because I gotta tell you, God couldn't love you more than he does right now. He just wants to have a relationship with you. So would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, as we take this piece of bread and this cup of juice, would you um, remind us of the reality that, that Jesus, when you came to earth and you gave your life for us, you changed human history. That you helped us to, to know God, to be known by God, that you brought about the forgiveness of our sins, and that you gave us your Holy Spirit to live this life you created us for. And so as we have this communion, would you help it to be a very personal and intimate experience with you? Or we could just say, yes, God, and thank you, God, and affirm our love for you today. And if you're here this morning and you've never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is your time. God's calling you to himself. And just like this woman that we learned about today, you can leave this place with God saying to you, your sins are forgiven, live in peace. Live in peace with God and live in peace with um, the way that you were created to live. Live in peace. If you're ready to make that decision, you can pray this simple prayer. You can whisper right where you are. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for coming to this earth and living a perfect life and then offering your life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. Today, God, I say yes. Yes, I want this relationship that you're offering me. More than that, yes, I want to have intimacy with you. So would you come, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins. And show me how to walk every day from this day into eternity with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.